Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. So our theme for the camp this year was There Is More, and I didn't anticipate that it would fit with this passage of Philippians. We're in the sixth week of our series called Rejoy, which is about joy as a topic, but it's also about a number of joys that we need to recover continually in our Christian walk. And the title of the message today is There Is More. And this is the message. There is more. No matter where you are in your walk of faith, there's more for you. There is more. There's more than self-hating religion. There's more than self-confident achievement. And there is more than self-realizing destiny. And so the conclusion here is press on, church. Press on. So what in the world am I talking about? Let's see. Let's read from Philippians chapter 3, beginning from verse 1. And... I'm going to interject a few comments as we go along. But if you haven't been following this series so far, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it online. You can find all the messages on our website. But did you know that the Christian life is meant to be full of joy? Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus came and did what he did for us to share his joy with us? And that actually in Christ, your destiny is joy. And it's joy that's located in the heart of God. And so that's the heart of Paul the Apostle as he's writing this letter. He's writing from prison to his dear friends in the city of Philippi. And so let's read from chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Further, or once again, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. In other words, I've got no problem continuing to repeat the same thing over and over again, guys. Why? Because it is a safeguard for you. And it recalls the words of Nehemiah, where it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we saw in our previous series that actually you can translate that. The joy of the Lord is your fortress. It is your refuge. So, Verse two, watch out for those dogs. Watch out. Actually, it's, it, you don't get it in this translation, but in the Greek, the phrase watch out is repeated each time. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. So the point, the first point I want to give you here, we're going to, we're going to continue in the passage as we go along, but the first point I want to give you here is you have to fight for your fortress of joy. You have to fight to protect your fortress of joy. Somebody wanted to finish that line with the Beastie Boys, I think, right? You did it. Fight to protect your fortress of joy. Because here's the thing. When your joy is in the Lord, sin can't touch you. Why? Because you're feasting on something better. Sin loses its, its appeal when you're in the joy of the Lord, Anxiety can't touch you because when you're in the joy of the Lord, you have a security, a safety that nothing can penetrate. And so when you're walking in his joy, it it keeps you safe from most of the things that so often entangle us. 
But just because joy is a fortress, it doesn't mean it doesn't need defending. Just because joy is a fortress doesn't mean it doesn't need defending. It's something we need to continually watch and continually fight to protect. And I think a lot of the times we are very vigilant and very mindful of attacks from the outside. But what I think Paul gets into here is that we're, we're less vigilant to the inside job. We're less vigilant to the attacks that come from the inside. And when I examine myself on this, I realize, <laughs> you know, any, anyone who preaches, I think will be able to tell you, very often when you're preparing to preach on a certain topic, the Holy Spirit is just like, <laughs> right here. And, and also the enemy, right here. And I find, you know, I found a few times recently, the thing I'm preparing to preach on, I'm really wrestling with the day before or the night before. <laughs> and so I've got to be honest that when I look at this, I don't protect my joy enough. I'm not vigilant enough in protecting my joy. I let those defensive walls so easily get penetrated by disappointment or by a mean word or by a mistake or, you know, by the weather or something. So how do we protect our joy? Well, this is what Paul says in verse 2. He says, to summarize, watch out for whatever threatens to rob your joy. Watch out for whatever threatens to rob your joy. And he repeats it three times. Watch out, watch out, watch out. And so that reiterates to me that we need to watch out. We need to be vigilant. And what does he warn against? Three things that can appear a little bit strange, a little bit not what you'd expect him to say. He says, watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators of the flesh. That last group doesn't sound like a group you particularly want to meet in a dark alley, right? The mutilators of the flesh. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, we got to remember, we got to read this in the context of the letter that he's been talking, he's been warning the church about self-interested preachers. And so I think what he's doing here is that he's turning the language of these what, what you could describe as they were called the Judaizers. They were a group that said, in order to be saved, you must also become culturally Jewish. And so what he's doing is that he's turning their language back on themselves. And so three things come out of that that Paul says we have to watch out for. These are three things, I think when you look at them, there's three things that will definitely rob your joy if you entertain them. Number one, watch out for the dogs, or you could translate this, Watch out for judgmental disdain. Because one of the things that these teachers did was that they would look down on people, they would exclude them based on their culture and background. And so a common term for Gentiles among Jews of the time was dogs. They're unclean animals, unclean people. And so being called a dog was about the worst thing you could call someone in the ancient world. They were, you know, people did not keep dogs as pets in those days and many places around the world today. Paul says, when you do that, when you call someone a dog, you become the dog. You're acting in the opposite spirit to Jesus. And so the result is, you will not experience joy. 
that's going to rob your joy. The more effort you put into keeping the wrong people out, the less joy you're going to experience in the Lord. Every one of us, I think if we're honest, I think it may take you a minute to self-reflect and discover which particular people group this is or kind of person this is, but I bet you when you search your heart, there is a kind of person or a kind of people that you feel a slight disdain towards, that you feel a slight judgmental righteousness over. If you're an Eagles fan, it may be a Cowboys fan. It may be towards yourself if you're an Eagles fan, really. (laughs) Look at that. Three years in, I'm already making sports jokes. All right. (laughs) If you're conservative-leaning politically, it may be towards the liberals. If you're left-leaning, it may be towards the the conservatives. But fill in the blank. I bet you, when you search your heart, there's someone that occupies that space. And Paul says, watch out. The more that you stand in that place, the less joy you're going to experience in God. It's going to rob your joy. Second thing he tells us to watch out for, he says, watch out for the evildoers. This is something that also, remember the Pharisees that they loved to call people. That's an evildoer. That's an evildoer. And of course, the irony is that Jesus says, you're justifying your own sinful pride. You're justifying all the laws that you don't want to keep. You yourselves are evildoers. And so I think the warning here is to watch out for justifying sin. Watch out for justifying sin. Watch out for having your own pet sins that you think, well, that's okay. God understands. Now, we're all works in progress, all right? It's not about that. But what it is, is that it's a very dangerous place and it becomes a place where your joy is easily going to be robbed as you flirt with sin and you think, well, God's fine with it. Nothing will rob your joy quicker. And then thirdly, he says, watch out for religious rules. Watch out for mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about the the fact that these teachers insisted you had to be physically circumcised in order to be saved. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know what that is, go talk to your dad. Okay? Paul's saying if you add religious rules to the gospel, you add these extra requirements for salvation, you're not doing this worthy self-sacrifice. What you're doing is you're mutilating something good. And I think the point is, the, the more rules that you add to this gospel that is free, that's talking about a gift, the less joy, the more joy gets sucked out of it. And so this is how I want to apply this to us right now. I think there's many of us who know that faith in Jesus, it leads us to love others. We know that it's all about loving God, loving neighbor. It's, it's, we know it's not about condemning people for their sin. And so we rightly focus on our own sin, on our own repentance. We want to take the log out of our own eye and that's good. That's necessary. Well, some, some of us maybe have yet to get there. But if you're there, if you're there this morning and you feel that you're painfully aware of your sin, that you're, you're, you're painfully aware of your unworthiness before God, well, first of all, rejoice that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and showing your need for a Savior. But 
Here's the news I have for you, and it's the next point, that there is more. There is more than what you could call self-hating religion. There is more than what you could call miserable sinner Christianity. Now, I've known kids and adults as I've worked with them and talked to them about their faith that are so caught up in being sorry for their sin and wondering if they're pleasing God that it, it consumes their lives. And the effect often is that you you become so worried about doing the wrong thing that you never actually do anything in faith for God. And it becomes this consuming thing. But here's good news for you. I could do the whole message on this. But the good news is that Jesus, yes, he did die for your sins. He did die to bring forgiveness for sin. But he didn't only die to bring forgiveness for sin. Forgiveness was not the end goal. The end goal was to know God, which is eternal life. And so forgiveness is a step along the way. It's it's a means to an end. If you get forgiveness, wow, what a a freedom, the, the lifting of the burden of sin over your life. There is nothing like that freedom. And yet God says, I don't want you to stay there. There's more for you. There's more for you. Don't stay at Good Friday. Continue on to Resurrection Sunday. Because he didn't only die to forgive us, he died to give us new life. And so there's more. I want to read, I'm going to continue reading from verse 3 because Paul goes deeper into this. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his, by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons, reasons for such confidence. Now, I like to think of this as Paul's battle rap where he brags on himself and like two people in the room got what that meant, but that's okay. Google battle rap. All right. <laughs> Here's what Paul says. He says, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, Paul can say that because part of the, the, demands, uh, the, the, the demands of the law was offering sacrifice. So it wasn't, he's not saying that he was sinless, but he's saying he's faultless before the law because he offered the correct sacrifices. But here's what he says, verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, just as Paul said that there's more than self-hating religion, he goes on to paint another picture of a mistake, and it's, it's really the same mistake with a different face. So some people know that miserable sinner Christianity is not enough, and so what they do is they swing the, to the other side and they go into what you could call overachiever Christianity. And this is where you begin to get a sense of joy out of your ministry, your achievements, your accolades, your sacrifices for God. Look at what I've given up. And again, this one gets me sometimes, guys. Because <laughs> the devil's really subtle. 
And sometimes there's moments where I begin to think of the friends, the family, the places, the, the things that, you know, you give up that a missionary life entails. And, you know, if I don't feel sad about it, then the other temptation is to feel proud about it. And there's this temptation to get my joy from it. God, look at all the things I've given up for you. And yet Paul warns us this. There is more than self-confident achievement. There's more. So again, it's not that repentance is bad. It's not that sacrifice for God is bad. It's not that achievement is bad. They're all good things. You should definitely repent. You should definitely count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus and willingly give it to him. Those are accolades. Paul says these are gains. He says, but you can't stay there. There is more. There's more. These are all stations on our way to joy. They're not the destination themselves. They're stations on the way to where God wants to take us. And if you treat them as the destination, then you don't progress in your walk with God to the place that he desires to take you. So let's carry on in verse 8. And again, these are words that we sang in in the, the song during worship. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And so, this is where I think Paul begins to drill down into his, his overarching point. And I would describe it like this, that when we're fighting for joy, when we're fighting for joy, when we're seeking for more, the problem when you base it in religion, this kind of like self-hatred that you can get into when you get stuck in just repentance, the problem with basing it in this overachiever self-confident accolades mindset is that all of those things are rooted in yourself. And so they're ultimately going to let you down. They're ultimately going to disappoint you. Paul's giving a really countercultural message here because I think what he's saying, it flies in the face of a trillion self-help books and TED Talks and so many cultural messages that we receive, which is this. Every day we hear this message, you control your own destiny. Don't let anyone define you but you. Don't worry what people say about you. The key to happiness is not caring what other people think. Tell your truth. You do you, boo. Now, I'm, I'm not telling you that all those things are bad. 
It's not that they're bad. It's just that they're not enough. They're not enough. And there's more. There's so much more. You do need to think well of yourself. You do need to stop letting other people control your joy. But there is more. Plato said, above all, know thyself. But Paul says, above all, know Christ. Everything he achieved, all of his accolades, all of the righteousness, the rightness that he'd achieved in in body, soul, spirit, Paul says it is trash compared to knowing God. It's trash comparing, compared to knowing Jesus. And he said, notice what he's saying. He's not saying that they're trash. He's saying they're trash compared to knowing Jesus. And so it's not that you, you shouldn't go try and get those things. It's, it's, it's not that those things are bad. It's that they're such a pathetic comparison to what it means to know the creator of the universe. They're pathetic. There is more, this is how I'd sum it up, there's more than self-realizing destiny. There is more than self-realizing destiny. The thing with self-realization, like I just said, it's, it, it can only take you so far. It's based in yourself. But self-realization, if, if you know what I mean by that, it, it, you know, reaching the, the total expression of who you are as an individual, it can only take you so far. It can absorb all of the good things in life. I think it can even absorb some of the suffering of life. But there's one thing it can't absorb, which is the end of yourself. Self-realization cannot encompass death. But Paul says there is a joy that is based in resurrection. There's a joy that goes beyond the grave. And it's this, to know him, to become like him, even in death. And so that can only come by faith. It can only come by a relationship of trust to Jesus. Now, Paul says, I I want to know Christ. And it makes me ask, well, doesn't Paul already know Jesus? I mean, you you hope he knows Jesus if he's writing scripture, right? You hope that he's got a relationship with Jesus already. Well, of course he does. What he's saying is he's already come to know him and yet there's always more to know of him. Selena and I have been married 13 years. We know each other. I know my wife. And yet... Every single day, I know more about her, more of her. And so I'm continually getting to know her, even as I already know her. And the promise of our joy, Paul writes elsewhere, is that one day we will fully know, even as we are fully known. I was dissing TED Talks a minute ago, but one of the, one of the most popular TED Talks of, of their history is Brene Brown, and it's called The Power of Vulnerability. And she did a 10-year study on what makes people tick. What is the thing that people want above all? And she said what she found after thousands of interviews is that people want connection. And she defines it as to, to, that a person would know them and accept them. That's what every single person, no matter who we are, according to 
her research, that's what we want above everything else. And the, the joy that the scripture offers us is that one day we will be fully known and we will fully know that we'll stand in the presence of the creator of the universe and we will know him finally. And he will know us and love us, accept us. Now what? We get little glimpses of that in life, I think. What will it be to stand before him and to to be met with his favor, to be met with his love, to know that nothing is hidden and yet he embraces us. He loves us. And so Paul concludes like this. He says, not that I have already attained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind and straining forward towards what is, he- towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if, some of, and, if, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Now there's so much there to talk about maturity and, and growing up into belonging and identity in Christ. But we'll have to save that for another time. But here's one thing that we can take comfort in today, and it's this, that the Apostle Paul says, guys, I I haven't made it yet. I've still got room to grow. I've still got areas to press into more of God in. And so what that means for you and for me is that no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, there is more. There's more. That you may feel like your glory days are behind you, or you may feel like this church's glory days are behind it. But I want to tell you, and and like, I've never worn this hat before, guys. Usually I'm just like teacher, but I felt such a, a prophetic weight on some of this stuff that no, the glory days are not behind us. There is more. There is more for this church. There's more for you. There's more for your family. And so, there's more to press into. And there's something really interesting here in the language because earlier on, Paul says, as for my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And he's proving just how zealous he was in his love for his understanding of God. And what's interesting in the passage that we just read, he repeats twice. He says, I press on to take hold of that which Christ did. I press on towards the goal. And it's the exact same word. I was a persecutor of the church. I am a persecutor of the goals that God has called me to. Isn't that interesting? So usually to persecute is a very negative term. Why is Paul using it like this? I think he's communicating the violence of straining towards God and, and what he's destined us to. That there's something that should be in our hearts that, that just as Persecution is about this kind of relentless, never letting, never letting your, your, your goal rest. There's something in our hearts that should be violently persecuting where God wants to take us. Relentlessly pursuing it. 
One of the dictionary definitions is to harass and annoy persistently. I like that. And so here's the point. This is what I want to leave you with as we call the, the worship team back up. Persecute your faith for the sake of joy. It's not enough to, to allow ourselves to plateau and just say, well, I guess God's done with me. No, he's not. There's more. Persecute your faith for the sake of joy. And one of the things that I've returned from, from this missions trip with is this, I would describe it as a renewed clarity. Number one, that there's, there's no joy like joy in the Lord. There is no joy like joy in the Lord. And secondly, that I'm not willing to settle for anything less than that. I'm not willing to settle for anything less than his joy in my life, and I'm not willing to settle for anything less than the joy of the Lord in the life of this church either. Can anyone say amen to that? All right. (laughs) So we need to watch out for the things that are robbing our joy as a people. We need to persecute our faith. And there's some of us here that are maybe stuck in that feeling of being sorry for our sin. And that's not a bad place to be, but the message for you is there's more. There's more. We are more than victors in Christ. And so there's some of us here who are stuck in finding our joy in our achievements and our accolades. And when we mess up or when we don't achieve the thing that we were hoping to achieve, we lose our joy. And so my, my, my message to you also is there's more. There's more. Press on. Some of us are stuck in trying to perfectly fulfill God's destiny for us before we'll find our joy. And I also want to tell you there's more. Press on. Because I believe this is going to be a place where God is moving, where we, begin, where we see lives transformed, where we see families restored. Um, we see people coming to faith. It makes me so happy to see 15 young people, you know, from a war-torn place, discover Jesus and give their lives to him. Let's be praying the same for our young people here and our old people (laughs) and our middle people. (laughs) We're surrounded by a world and a culture that desperately needs the joy of the Lord. And we can't have that unless we belong to Jesus. Paul said, I'm pressing on to make my own what God's called me to because Jesus has made me his own. And so if there's anybody here that has never made that step of commitment to say, Jesus, I want to belong to you, then we do that by what's called faith. We say, Jesus, I want to trust you today. Take my life. I give it to you and I want to follow you. And you can do that simply by talking to him and making that commitment. And so if that's you, if you're online or you're here or you're Mukunji, you can pray this with me and, and make a simple commitment and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry for all the ways that I've lived my life wrong, all the ways that I've sinned against you. Jesus, thank you that you love me and that you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you rose again from the dead. 
and I want to give my life to you. Please give me your Holy Spirit and make me your child today. I want to walk the rest of my life alongside you. Let it be so. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.